Amen. Last week we started Hebrews chapter 11 with part 21 of our Hebrews series. Today's part 22, uh, and we get to continue on in Hebrews chapter 11, but there's this great verse. It's a definition of what faith is. It's Hebrews 11 verse 1. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Where does faith come from? It comes from here, it's, it's assurance of things hoped for. Hope. Where does this ability to hope come from? Last week, we talked about this. In, the, in verse 3, it talks about, for we understand that God created. He created all these things. From the very beginning, he created. The day that sin entered the world, it was a really sad day. But with it came the ability to hope. Hope became a part of our wiring Right? It's that hope, that desire to see things be better, to return to the way it was. So although that day was a really broken day, it also birthed this faith and hope life that, that mankind has been living ever since as we have assurance for things hoped for, conviction of things unseen. So I think about faith and hope. I'm like, I, I realize that everybody on the planet is living with faith of some sort. Hope is an absolute necessity to life, to healthy human life. This week, our, our culture is rocked just in the last day by people whose, whose life didn't have hope and they, they broke. They broke. And they snapped. We saw in, in Texas and in Ohio as Two shootings for the first time in history happened within 24 hours. Our culture is looking around going, where's the hope? Where's the hope? And people don't understand faith. They don't. You know that this generation is growing up where you have to have faith to go to Walmart. Right? You have to, have, you have to hope that, that today is not going to be the day that somebody shows up at our Walmart. It's incredible. There's a lack of, of understanding of hope in our culture, and there's a lack of answers as our culture has drifted. We don't have faith anymore. Not in God, not in the deeper things. People put hope in the wrong things, and it's devastating. It's devastating. We can see the impact of that. But what I recognize is in general, a general hope that things will get better is one of the basic factors to healthy human existence. And no other creature on the planet has hope. It's unique to us. We have hope. If we have hope, then we can keep functioning. How many of you recognize that? Faith isn't wishful thinking or blind ignorance. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. We have to have hope in order to have faith. If most everyone on the planet is functioning with some sort of hope, they have literally put their faith in something. Faith. We have all these kinds of shallow faiths, don't we? Can you, can you think of something that you put faith in? A, a marriage? Mariners! Oh, now that might be a blind and ignorant hope. What else do you put faith in? Car, brakes, okay? Good, anything else? Electricity, right? Power outage two weeks in a row. For some people who that seriously affected a lot of stuff on Friday. 
Anybody else? What else do we put faith in? The seat we sit on. I'm just glad somebody can translate Irish. <laughs> just kidding. People. Other drivers. Anybody? Right? Every time you get in your car, without even acknowledging it, there's faith going on. Not just in your own car, but that the other drivers aren't going to cross the center line. We don't think about those things because if we really did all the time, right? How many of you already have an anxiety attack every time you get in the car? It's like, you know what? I'm just going to stay home today. (laughs) Right? Faith. We live with it. These things are, these are important parts of our lives. Like without it, we don't function, but they're here. They're surface level, right? We can kind of just, we, we need it. And what do we base these faiths on? They're not blind. They're not ignorant. There's, there's a basis for them. Experience, right? Education, uh, the experiences of others, um, data, <laughs> Right? When airplanes first became like the like really common way of travel, there was there was there was data that, that gave you the statistics of surviving an airplane and all these things. Now we kind of just take it for granted. But when you get on a plane, there's an awful lot of faith, isn't there? <laughs> yeah. So we we base it on data, on experience. They're not just blind faiths. There's there's evidence to back it up. Our Christian faith requires the same thing, right? So here's one that, that you need faith in. Anybody in here ever bought a used car? Okay, we just bought a minivan. Whew, getting ready. Used minivan, okay? It nearly gave me a panic attack because you just start looking, and, and we're on a budget, and so we're looking in Craigslist and car max and whatever else there's out there to try and find a deal that we'd feel good about. And you just realize that you're dealing with all across the spectrum, different people, different experiences. You just don't know. It's really hard to put faith in anything. So I was praying. I'm asking God, guide us to somebody that we can trust. And we ended up buying a van mainly because I, I had trust and faith that we were getting the best deal that the person that we purchased this vehicle from was being honest with me. It takes a lot of faith. And now, even though I believe that to be true, there's no way to guarantee that the van's going to run for more than, I don't know. It could, it could just die any day now. <laughs> but we have faith that it won't. <laughs> right? And you can, I'll keep you posted on that. <laughs> but it takes faith. We bought this van because we've, we felt like we had faith that it was the best situation for us. Our culture today is uh, living life on lesser faith. Does that make sense? It, we still have faith, but we're living and functioning on lesser faiths. That's the way we, we get through life. We don't delve into the deep end of the soul. In our culture, morning, Ember. <laughs> We don't delve into the deep things. We, we live so much of our lives through lesser faiths without even realizing it. And yet for many people, even Christians, at the deepest level of their souls, their faith is barely stirred. 
We live on this shallow faith. Our culture today is more comfortable ignoring the deeper questions of faith. Even the church, we can seemingly get away from, from dealing with the strength or weakness of our faith, our, of our deep soul trust in eternal God, and function on surface level faiths. We don't look at what our true faith is. We're more comfortable just kind of here, being comfortable. I honestly think that one way that the enemy of our soul can mess with our faith is through allowing us to live comfortably. It messes with us. It becomes a challenge to engage faith. See, we need encouragement to live more by faith than by comfort. I think that's true of us in America, especially middle class America. After all, it is faith that pleases God. It is faith that pleases God. It is through faith that we obtain the promises of God, as we've been talking about last week. It's through faith. The terms of coming to Christ isn't our actions. It's not our, it's not our ability to keep the law. It's not perfection. It's faith. That's what, that's what unlocks our eternity with him. It's through faith and trusting him. Assurance of things hoped for. Conviction of things unseen. Now, we're going to look at some of the great stories of faith that we see throughout the Old Testament. Last week, we talked about Cain and Abel and Enoch. And if you weren't here, you can now go online and listen to the podcast from past week. I'm excited about that because it's, it's kind of a, a, I think it's going to be a good tool for us. It's, it's good to be, able to, to be able to go back, especially when we're in a series like this and go back and listen. If you miss a week, you can listen to it. Um, also, just... If you're interested, you can go listen to it. It's kind of nice. Uh, you can go to iTunes. You can search Bethel Downtown, or you can go to Google and look the same thing, Bethel Downtown, and pull it up. But if you miss a week, you don't have to miss the sermon. And I know that's kind of like self-promoting, but it's not for me. <laughs> I don't know who listens, but it's meant to be a, a way to continue to keep us connected and encourage the Scripture. So we're going to jump into Hebrews eleven seven. This is what it says. By faith, Noah being warned by God concerning the events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Noah. The Noah story is one of the most incredible stories in all the Bible. (laughs) One of the worst things that ever happened to the story of Noah is that it became a kid's story. We have a picture, right? It's, it became a kid's story about a floating zoo. <laughs> we sing songs and, who built the ark? Noah, Noah. And all I'm thinking about as I think about that is every other human being on the planet was destroyed. And we've taken the story, we've boiled it down to being a floating zoo. Because we're uncomfortable. It's very uncomfortable. I don't know if any of you have ever thought about it like that, but we are so uncomfortable with what happened that we've turned it into a kid's story. Kids, Ember loves it. One of her favorite things to do is watch the VeggieTales Noah's Ark, which actually I kind of think it's kind of cute, but there you go. It doesn't, even, it doesn't even touch the surface of the pain that's going on. 
in the scriptures in Genesis, when you read the story, it says that God actually regretted having made man. The heartbreak, the brokenness. You think we live in a world that's broken. At that point, there, there, were, there was only one guy, one family that had hope, something bigger than getting through life. That was Noah. God, through Noah, through the faith that Noah had, and, and for those of us who have contemplated this, you just think, man, I'm really glad God hasn't asked me to do that. Although a flood is a little bit more common to us than it would have been to Noah. <laughs> right? Noah, at the time that he built the ark, it hadn't rained. They hadn't, he didn't live near the ocean. He built this ark in the middle of nowhere because God said, build an ark because I'm going to flood the earth. Build an ark. Noah has faith. And see, humans had gotten so far off that God had to wipe out the entire human race along with a lot of creation. Just let that sink in for a moment. God did a reboot on creation. With what we know about God and his mercy and grace and love towards humans, it seems a bit harsh, doesn't it? It seems a bit harsh. God killed a lot of people that day. A lot of people died that day. For some, picture, for some people, that is a picture of God that is difficult for them to get over. It's difficult. But there's something that we really struggle with as humans that this story gets home to us, that we have to cling to when tragedy strikes, that we need to have deeply anchored in our soul that's so much bigger than the circumstances we face it's bigger than a, tra- a national disaster or a tragedy, is this. The timing of our physical deaths is not nearly as important as the status of our eternal souls. The timing of our physical deaths is not nearly as important as the status of our eternal souls. Okay? That's really great to say. <laughs> right? So I was writing that down. I'm like, that's a really powerful sentence. You know what's hard? to live life with that understanding and to continue to let that be a foundation point. It's easy to say it. It's harder to fully embrace it. The point is that those whose souls were hardened to the point of no return in Noah's day, their souls were hardened to the point of no return. It makes little difference whether they died of old age or by a flood. In fact, I would consider it to be a somewhat of a mercy. And not, if not just for those ones whose hearts had been hardened, but even for those who hadn't been born yet. That to be born into a world void of hope, void of interaction with God, would have been worse than the flood. And I believe that because I trust God. Hey, That's hard to wrap our minds around, and it's uncomfortable, but the status of our eternal souls is more important than the timing of our physical death. Think of children, right, living at that time, whose hearts may have not been hardened yet to that point. And I trust God, right, that maybe this was mercy for them too. That's difficult to say, but this is implied. It's, It's an implication of this, that God is the judge, not us. That he did this for a reason, to reboot humanity. 
to reboot creation as it wasn't just humans that suffered and died on that day. The animals were wiped out. That's why two of every kind, two of every living kind had to come and join them on the ark. It wasn't just so that Noah could have a floating zoo to entertain him. It rebooted the circle of life. <laughs> I, th- I was thinking about that this week, and this isn't really anything important, just kind of a tangent because my brain goes here. It's like, why did he have to reboot the animals too? But it kind of makes sense because the whole predatory system needed to restart. And if, the, if there wasn't uh, some way to guarantee that it was going to be starting from the ground zero, it might not have all worked out anyway. I don't really understand it, but I trust God. God told Noah, build an ark. In the middle of the desert, where it's never rained, build an ark. He's 500 years old. He starts building an ark. Day after day, as people go, what are you doing? It takes a lot of faith, doesn't it? It takes a lot of faith. But can I tell you something? Noah's faith in God saved him, not the ark. It's Noah's faith that saved him, not the ark. I look at that and I go, man, how in the world could he have built an ark? Like, if God asked me to build an ark, how many of you can say that? If he asked me, I would not be able to do it. (laughs) To build an ark seems so massive. But it was his faith in God that saved him. Day by day, little yeses. Okay? Little yeses. It actually says that Noah's faith, it was Noah's faith that condemned the rest of humanity. If you look back and you read that, it said, by this, by faith, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. It was his faith that condemned the rest of humanity. There's an element of accountability to faith in God. When we look at the lives of the faithful, it either encourages us and motivates us or it condemns us. When we look at the lives of those who are faithful, you know, as conversations with the other people around him, as he's talking to them about what's happening, I mean, there's an element there. They had the opportunity to go, man, what's going on? Noah's building a giant ark. And they continued to walk away, continued to be hardened, And that condemned them. His faithfully building the ark was a warning to everyone around him, and yet no one else believed, and they were condemned. And they've actually, I don't know if you guys have seen this, but in Kentucky they've constructed something that they think is kind of like what the ark would have looked like to the dimensions that they find in Scripture. And you can see it from miles away, (laughs) right? People would have seen this monstrosity of a building that Noah was building. They probably laughed, but some of them might have been a little curious. And because they didn't have faith, they, they were condemned. It also says that he became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. What's cool about the Old Testament stories is that they all point to Jesus in some way. The story of Noah's ark actually foreshadows the gospel. See, Noah built an ark and saved his heirs from the wrath of God on earth, his biological family and spouses. Jesus died on the cross and saved his heirs from eternal wrath. Jesus' heirs are not biologically related, but heirs through 
faith. Faith. By faith, we become a part of the family of God. And we're saved through what Jesus has done. Just like Noah's kids were saved through Noah's faith in building the ark. See, the flood happened because men had ceased to put their faith in God. In Luke 17, Jesus claimed that at the end of days, men would act as they did in Noah's day. This is what it says in Luke 17, 27. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Notice that the men are completely focused on their own existence in their own lives. They're still living their lives in some sort of faith and hope, but it's just here. They're not engaged on a deeper soul level in the way that we are created to engage with God. It actually doesn't mention any specific sins here. Did you notice that? When Jesus talked about these days of Noah, it just says that they were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage. It doesn't talk about their debauchery or this or that. Just that they live their lives without any regard for God. Any attempt to grow in understanding who created them. This lack of focus on God indicates their sinful behavior and was a direct result of not walking in close communion with God. That's what he wants for us, faith and closeness, to draw near to him through faith. See, judgment and mercy go hand in hand. Without judgment, there's no mercy. The story of Noah is a story of mercy as much as it is of judgment. The story of the cross is a story of grace and mercy as much as it is of judgment. By faith, we're saved. Okay. Hebrews 11, 8, 9 goes on and says, and now we're going to switch gears. We're gonna, we just talked about Noah. Now we're going to talk about Abraham. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out of the place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going, by faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. See, both Noah and Abraham's faith had action at the heart of it, right? Noah built an ark. Abraham, Abraham had to leave his home, leave his homeland, leave everything that he knew. It took faith. See, faith in Jesus may require you to take action at any point, at any point. Today, your faith may require action. It should. It should. While those actions of faith may seem like huge steps to us, when we look back on Noah and Abraham, it goes, man, I don't think I have the faith to do what they did. It required huge steps of faith and huge circumstances. It reminds me of this song that some of you are going to laugh because you haven't heard this in a long time, if you've been around for a little while. It reminds me of a song that's a satire of, of middle-class middle Christian life called Please Don't Send Me to Africa. <laughs> Any of you remember that song? Please Don't Send Me to Africa, right? When we look at a story like Noah and Abraham, we kind of have this, oh, God. I think following you is a little bit too dangerous for me. I'm just going to kind of, can I just be comfortable with, with the way, uh, here's this kind of cookie-cutter Christianity Right? I'll serve you, I'll tithe, I'll go to church, I'll do these things, but please don't, please don't call me to do anything crazy. Right? Any of you ever had that thought? Liars. 
at some point, right? But here's what, here's what we have to focus on. Don't get caught up worrying about the big steps of faith. Focus on being faithful today. If you're worried about what God might call you to do in the future, you're going to have a harder time trusting him today. That's why Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow, okay? He said, tomorrow has enough worries of its own. If you're worried about the steps of faith God might ask of you in the future, you're going to struggle today. Today. Focus on what he's asking you to do today. If you're overwhelmed by the possibilities of what faith might require of you, ask yourself two simple questions. Okay? What does faith in Jesus require of me today? Okay? Not building, Noah didn't build the ark in a day. It took him like a hundred years. Okay, anyway. What does faith in Jesus require of me today? And then I'm going to ask, you have to ask a second question, and that's this. Where has God been faithful in the past? Okay? That's a huge question. It's very important. Where has God been faithful in the past? See, Abraham didn't know where he was going, but he knew who was telling him to go and who was going with him. He trusted God, not blindly, not ignorantly, but because of evidence, because of God had spoken to him because he had seen God's faithfulness in the past. It empowered his faith to move forward into the unseen. If you're struggling with faith, you have to remember the evidence. Sometimes the unseen circumstances of the future want to trump the evidences of the past because they feel more pressing and more urgent. But if we can look back and recognize what God has done. And this isn't going to just be on you. This is why we have recorded scriptures. It's why it's written down for us, to remember it. It's why we need community, and we need to hear the stories of other people. We be encouraged by the faith, the evidence that we see in others' lives. When we have an unseen circumstance, to not just trust that God will do for us what we hope he will do, but to, at a deeper level, at the deepest level of our soul, to trust in God alone, to trust in him alone. And never forget, never forget that faith means that we trust even when we don't see. That is what faith is. It's assurance of what's hoped for, conviction of things unseen. When things are seen, and I pray that you get to see these things, when we see them, they instantly become evidence which supports our faith for the future unseen events. Does that make sense? There are people who, who will tell you or who will teach a faith that says, if you believe enough, you're guaranteed the miracle. Faith is in the unseen, okay? Faith is in the unseen. If you don't see the miracle, don't lose faith, <laughs> Don't lose faith. Faith is a deeper level. It's not just in the temporal circumstances. It's in the eternal. That's what our faith in Jesus ultimately is. Not in temporal things. Not in any physical healing. Not in any provision for today. It's in eternity. Now, I firmly believe that those who have that kind of faith, live a, they live a blessed life <laughs> because they're untouched. They're untouched by the things that rock people's worlds. 
And it's, it's kind of otherworldly. It, it is otherworldly. We're going to get into that. This is what it says. It says in Hebrews 11.10, for, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Abraham moved by faith because he was looking forward to the city that has foundations. Do you know this isn't talking about an earthly city? I love this verse. This, this is the author's way of saying it was never about a chunk of dirt. Okay? We get confused so easily. Even still to this day, there are people who are fighting over a chunk of dirt. It was always about being with God. <laughs> Abraham had a tremendous faith, but it wasn't ever truly based on any promise. It was, it was based on the one who made the promise. You guys understand that? He was looking forward to a city that had foundations. And for somebody who lived his life following God by faith and lived in tents, that makes a little bit of sense. He was looking forward to a day when the tent life was done and it was foundation time. That's not here. It's eternity. At the deepest level of faith, we, like Abraham, are looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose builder and designer is God. That's what we look forward to, Christians, by faith. Hebrews 11, 11 says, By faith Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. I'm so glad the author mentions Sarah. Right? Aren't you? Right? We have all these promises to Abraham, but we have to recognize that every promise to Abraham was a promise to Sarah. And we know this because Sarah, they, they tried to come up with another plan to go through Hagar, and we get Ishmael out of that, but the promise was to Abraham and Sarah, not just to Abraham. This promise comes to Sarah. It comes to Sarah, this promise that you're going to have a son. And I think women and men feel this burden differently because it's in a woman's body that that child is put together. It's in a woman's body who carries it. There's a lot more feeling and shame and all these things that come with it. And I imagine Sarah's life as she got older and older and older. And this promise and her husband who had this promise and this faith could almost be something that would, would be a bigger burden to carry and it says she trusted God. She trusted God. What's so great about this story is we see that trust and faith in God is not always optimism. <laughs> okay? Faith does not equal optimism. Does that make sense? So in this room, if you're dealing with a circumstance that requires faith, a faithful response doesn't always look like optimism. Sometimes... And God understands this. Sometimes in our hearts, there's a cynic. There's, but the ultimate thing that determines the difference is a continued trust in God. It's continuing to trust in God. Now, you look at Sarah's story. We just read this on Thursday morning in, our, in, in Bible study at Fiddler's. We're reading through Genesis, and we read Genesis 18. And this is what it says about Sarah. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. Okay, I'm not going to go into that. <laughs> you guys can understand. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? 
Shall I have this joy? Shall I have this desire of our hearts? She laughed. If you read on in the story, the angel actually says, hey, why did Sarah laugh? And Sarah comes in and she's like, I didn't laugh. No, because she's scared. Like, did I just blow it by my cynicism, by the evidence that I've seen of my entire life where this has never happened? And now not only did I not get pregnant, I'm not fertile anymore. And now the angel of the Lord comes and says, I'm going to have a child. How many of you would laugh? She was 90 years old when she gave birth to Isaac. (laughs) Right? There are so many elements to faith in that. Right? Okay, we're having twins, which instantly makes uh, the pregnancy higher risk. (laughs) Being pregnant at 90? (laughs) I think that's a high-risk pregnancy. Being pregnant with the promise of God, <laughs> right? There's an element to faith that it didn't just require to receive the, the, the child within her, but to walk through that, to trust God and continue to look to him and not just to your body. She literally had no way of supporting that life, and God did it. And though she laughed, it wasn't the kind of laughter that was unfaithful. It was the kind of laughter that I think God understands, God has a sense of humor. If you don't believe me, then just read the story. A 90-year-old woman gave birth, okay? They named him Isaac, which means laughter. It means laughter. It's a great story of God's faithfulness to recognize that there are times when God asks us and he does things in our life that you just kind of have to go... (laughs) How many of you have ever had an experience like that with God? Where you felt urged to do something or a circumstance presented itself and you knew the faithful response was that crazy one. And you just laughed. You just went... (laughs) And then on the other side of it, when God's faithfulness comes through and you see it, you just laugh. I think there should be more laughter in the church. And it's not the kind of laughter that diminishes the struggle. It's the kind of laughter that's joyful. It just says, man, God, you're good. And it's kind of like this, forgive me for being this human who can't see the way you do. Help me trust you. And when we laugh, when there's joy, when there's laughter in the church, it should be something that encourages faith. shouldn't make us feel depressed about our circumstances. But it encourages faith. Encourages us to trust him. Hebrews eleven twelve says, Therefore from one man, and him as good as dead. <laughs> right? That's funny. Okay. We're born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as, as the innumerable grains of sand on the seashore. They named him Isaac. I love this this struggle that they went through as they waited and waited and waited and the emotions that they felt would have been epic and then the promise is fulfilled. It reminds me of Psalms 30. Psalms 30. Now wherever you are in this emotional roller coaster of faith, whether you're still on the 
25 years of waiting for the promise side or whether you're on the laughter side, read Psalm 30. It's got it all covered. What it says at the end, though, is awesome. Psalms 30, 11, and 12 says, You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You've loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. That's why we sing, church. Sing. It's our soul glorifying God. Because he's turned our mourning into gladness. And there are times when we're still on the side of things that was unseen. And that's why faith is so important. But we have an abundance of evidence. We have an abundance of evidence. And I, and I know if you're in here this morning and you've trusted in Jesus, that evidence is there for you too. But we have this problem. And, and it's not just for the old folks in here. We have memory loss. We have memory loss some of you really struggle with that, but we all do. We have this amnesia when it comes to faith, right? Kind of like the people of Israel, right? God just saved them from Egypt and walked them through the Red Sea on dry land, and he's given them food and provision through the desert miraculously by dropping bread at night and making water spring out of the ground and all these things, right? This is all supposed to be going into the bank of evidence that's going to allow them to walk into the promised land. And what do they do? They get to the river and they go, oh, those people are big. Those people are big. That river's, it's flooding, it's too big, we can't cross that. See, we have a struggle maintaining the evidences of faith to strengthen our faith. I had a conversation with a friend this week, it's just, he, he knows a guy who keeps a faith journal. There's nothing else written in it except for ways that he's seen evidences of God's grace and action in his life. And every time one of these things happens, he writes it down. He writes it down and keeps it with him. For some of us in here whose faiths feel like they're teetering, I'm going to recommend you do that. Write it down. Go back. Sit down. Write down the evidences of God's grace in your life. Write them down. Look at those things. So here's what Hebrews 11, 13 says, through 16 says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of, the land, of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. We're looking for a homeland. Not just us in here. Everybody is looking for it. They think they can find it through a fence. They think they can find it through social medicine. <laughs> they think they can find it through whatever it is that they put their hope and faith in. For those who trust God, our hope is in a better homeland. It's better because it's not here. It's heavenly. Those who received these promises, they didn't get to attain it. And we think, 
Abraham, he had a son, Isaac, right? But the promise that was actually given to him was not a son. It was descendants as numerous as the stars, as many as the sands on the seashore. He didn't get to see that. He saw it from afar. He saw this glimpse. For people who speak thus make it clear they are seeking a homeland. Do we make it clear, church, that we're seeking a homeland? What does that look like? Should be different than those who don't have faith in Jesus. Should be. And if it's not, then something's up. We need to check where our hope is. It's not in this country. And we believe that we are to make an impact. We believe we can pray for this country. We can serve and make it a better place. But it is not in America that our hope is. I thank God for the privilege of living in this country. But we have to check our hope. Because when we don't speak of a better homeland, we're not pointing people to faith. We're not pointing an identity to, we're not pointing their identity to Jesus. We seek a better homeland. We seek a city with foundations. Prepared, built, designed by God, the heavenly city. See, the promised land of Israel was only ever intended to be a shadow and a copy of the real thing, a better country. Not America, not Israel, a heavenly one. If we can't understand this, then we are in trouble. When we speak thus, when we speak thus, we make it clear that we're seeking a better homeland. We're seeking this. It's our desire to see him, to be with him. That's where our hope is, the deepest part of our soul. It longs to be in relationship with Jesus, to see him face to face. That's our hope. This morning as we close the gathering, we're going to sing a song called Till I See You. And not, as, not very many of our songs that we sing, and, and we try to include these and have this longing for home. Longing for home. One of the things that's great about good hymns is that usually verse four, you know what verse four is about? Heaven, home. It's about the homeland. It is, it's intentional. It's built into our way of thinking to think about home to remind us that this isn't it. We get to see God's grace and mercy and evidence upon evidence upon evidence to make us look forward to and long for the day that we get to see him face to face. Today we can see it, we can greet it from afar. We can see it. It's like, and the scriptures say that, that we see him veiled as looking in a, a, a mirror dimly but then we'll see him face to face. The things that you feel like haven't been answered the way that you wanted to be here will be answered. Every answer is yes in Jesus. Every answer is yes in him. That's not a promise that we get to, we get to fully attain here, but we will by faith. Amen. And if you're sitting here going, okay, what does this mean for my faith today? Ask those two questions. 
What does faith in Jesus require of me today? Where has God been faithful in the past? Maybe you need to start a laughter journal. Right? When you have those circumstances that come up, and I know in this room every single person in here has faced that. That moment where you go, God, you said this and this is not happening. We need that laughter journal to go back and look through, peruse through, and, and it may still be painful at times. Go, I want that here. But remember, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things unseen. I continue to trust. Don't let your faith bail on you because you haven't seen the answer you want. At the deepest level of our soul, it's anchored in eternal life with him because of what he's done. I'm going to pray. We're going to come and receive communion this morning. You can take your cup and your cracker back to your seat and just think about that. And as you, as you engage in communion, remember who he is and what he's done. Let it build your faith. Let that evidence bank continue to fill that we can look forward to even unseen things, even things that seem like they've gone the opposite way and still trust and speak of a better homeland. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you so much for your love for us. I thank you that you have a sense of humor. Thank you that faith doesn't always feel like optimism, but at its heart is a deep trust in who you are, that your goodness will prevail. If not here, in that better homeland. I thank you for that. God, I pray, I pray that more people would be encouraged to think about the depth of their hope. That you wouldn't allow us to to live on lesser hopes. God, our country needs an awakening of hope. We need it. It's the only thing that can unite us. It's the only thing that can draw us back to you is understanding that our hope is not in better laws. It's in you. We need it. This generation needs it. I pray that through these difficult things that we face, that it would would cause an awakening. It would stir our hearts to not rely on the things of this earth, but to be reminded of our alienship, of our foreigner status. That we would be drawn to you and speak a better home. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.